Pack my bags with no sorrow I'll reach the western port by tomorrow And when I get there You better be waiting When I make anchor things will get better No more fights, no east coast weather It'll be different Cause this time I'm staying Welcome to Post Poc Talk, my name is Ed And I'm Oz Welcome to our little After the Bombs Drop radio show and if you're one of those pre-pock fanatics, then have we got a surprise for you. A certified pre-pocker and pre-pock expert to talk to us today. A while back, we got several radio messages in talking about ghosts in certain Ground Zero locations. First of all, what the hell are you doing at a Ground Zero site? It's literally a sandblasted flat plane. There's nothing even there except for the mutants that are feeding off the remaining radiation. And that's when we realized it was obviously a mutant trap. So we've got a pickup truck and suck two dead zombies in it. And about 16 pounds of explosives. And I put a brick on that pedal. We watched it with binoculars roll into LA. Far as the eye could see around us, we couldn't see any mutants. Think they go on vacation in the summer? Stupid mutants. So after the car rolled into the sea, we judged that it was probably safe to go in ourselves. We brought our Geiger belts because the last thing I need is to step on some piece of... Jagged metal lodged in the ground and get testicles the size of car rims. And we set off onto the plane. These places are eerie to walk down. The bombs blasted the whole surface of streets and houses into clean plains of white ash and sand. You can still see the outlines of house foundations every now and again. Little holes in the ground that lead to what used to be sewers. Sometimes you can see bits of walls standing with ashen figures hung on their sides. It's a spooky place. But our reports said that these ghosts weren't your regular walking around kind of ghosts. They said that you could hear voices through a static of radios and walkie-talkies. So we made our camp at night near the center of the city. I brought hot dogs! And we turned on our radio, our recorder, and we waited. And so at around 10 o'clock, we started to pick up some sounds through all that static. Like someone tuning a dial. It continued for a couple minutes, and it would fade out, and then grow, and fade out again, and then grow. Until suddenly. Flamingos are in front of 2455. We found our ghost. Come in, ghost. This is Oz and Ed. Over. Oh my god. Hello? Yeah, this is... This is Jonathan. Over. Jonathan, are you a ghost? We're asking for science. <laughs> Um, may maybe I might I might be. That's a hard question. Make up your mind, Jonathan. Are you or are you not a ghost? Um, no, I I don't think that I am. Where are you then, Jonathan? Over. I'm a uh, I'm walking up San Fernando in Glendale. Jonathan is a maybe ghost that exists somewhere in time about an hour before the missile hit the west coast. He says it's hanging in the air above the city, lowering itself down inch by inch every year he's been here. We've got a lot of questions to ask you, Jonathan. <laughs> Shoot. Uh, I mean, I don't know how helpful I can be for you guys. And I was... I was 22. I was 22 when all this happened. What happened, Jonathan? What happened during the event? Uh, look, guys. All I know 
is that it was it was 8:13 a.m. 8:13 a.m. and I had just gotten into my car. I was going to work and then just everything stopped. And all the clocks and all the watches are stopped at 8:13 a.m. And I mean, we weren't at war. There's no plague. There's no famine. I mean, at least as far as I know, I wasn't like the most well-read person at the time. It just, it just kind of happened. You know, honestly, you guys, you guys probably know more than I do. Eight thirteen. What was the date? Eight thirteen on January fourteenth, and it was, it was a Tuesday, in twenty twenty-one. I still got the calendar that I had at the time. So what year is it for you now? <laughs> that's, that's another one of those hard questions. And after the first week, I started scraping marks into the wall of my room. You know, without the sun moving, too. I mean, it's always morning. And so I had to keep time some way, even whenever I got tired. You know, but you can probably imagine just how unreliable that is. I mean, I remember... Waking up through the monotony of it all, and the wall would have six, seven, eight, nine, fifteen new marks on it, and I, I don't, I don't remember making those. Jonathan says his wall clock ran out a couple of years ago. He's since moved through several houses, but by his last count, he's been stuck wherever he is for over sixty years. Why a wall clock? I mean, couldn't you have just used paper? I mean, I could have, but it just felt more dramatic. No. So that missile, it's just sitting above the city? Yeah, it's pretty big at this point, too. It's about the size of a passenger plane. Uh, do you guys know what that is? We've seen them on the ground. So it's just hanging there. It's moving slightly. So every couple of years, I can tell that it's getting closer. And, it, and it's, it's strange. Because every morning that I wake up, Every single morning, I always look at it. Like, I don't have a choice. I just look at it. And every time that I do, I just feel like that's going to be the second that it, that it hits. So I try not to look at it too often. So time isn't stopped. It's just moving very slowly. E yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. So, I mean, even the clocks, some of the clocks... Uh, they moved forward for uh, like a couple of seconds, but I mean, for the most part, it's just it's just frozen here. You know, it's, it's still a whole city stuck in the moment before the blast. And I haven't aged a day. You know, I mean, not there's anything else or anyone else. Anyone? More maybe ghosts? Uh, well. Sort of. I mean, I, I thought that they were ghosts when I first saw one. You know what? Let me just show you one. You know, let me see if I can get close. Jonathan walks down the street for a couple of minutes until he sees a red flash go by the next block over, and he starts running toward it. Oh, here's one. Listen. Jonathan, what was that? I think... I think they're people like me. It turns out that there's other people stuck in the seconds before the bomb goes off. Unfortunately for Jonathan, they're operating at different speeds, 
living in their own advanced or slightly behind time periods, and no one is synced enough for him to even communicate. Sometimes I'd leave notes and marks on these walls if they seemed like they weren't going too fast or too slow. I tried to calculate the times when they would get it and then get back around that time. It, it just got really confusing. You know, we all, we all just follow our, our own little patterns. All right, Jonathan. So what do you do every day? I get up and I eat breakfast. I'll go downtown and grab something off a plate. I mean, it's always morning, so there's always breakfast around. Uh, and then I like to read. So I go to the library and I'll, I'll grab whatever books I can find that I haven't already read. I'm starting to kind of start to kind of run low, too, actually. You know, and then I'll take them to Venice or Malibu, too, if, I, you know, if I've got the time. And I've always got the time. And then if I get tired and I'm not at home, I just kind of keep track of when I sleep. And, and then I'll, I'll just add the marks at, back at the wall. And then I've got this radio and I talk into it. I guess that sounds kind of crazy. It's not, I promise. And then, I mean, the static is nice. It's just quiet here. So what else do you do, Jonathan? I like to people watch. Now, most people didn't get stuck like I did. You know, they're still walking around. Well, walking around. They look like they're walking around, and they're just kind of frozen in place. And I like to check out their homes and see what their lives were like. The things that they own, people they, they lived with, what they'd done with themselves. I mean, it's not like, it's not going to matter. I get that. They must have died like years ago. But they're here for me now. They're all frozen like this little Los Angeles a snow globe. All we know about is our world, Jonathan. And what we're looking at is a big, sandy, flat plain. <laughs> I guess... No, that makes sense. I mean, the missile isn't just going to turn around. I just... I get so used to seeing it up there, and I just forget about what's going to happen after. And it's just... It's strange. I'm sitting here right now, and I'm talking to you guys, and I'm looking at the sun, and it's shining through this volleyball net and there's bikes and there's people all around me there's there's life there's it's still life but it's there and i just guess in your time it's gone it's all blasted away you sure you're 22 you sound like an old dude i don't age but i mean I've been sitting around here for a while talking into a radio, so I guess that'll age you a little bit. I mean, I'd be like 80 if I did. I should be calling you guys like boys or kids or what do old people say? Whippersnappers? Over the course of the next two days, Jonathan gives us a tour of his LA. He takes us to an observatory, to his old neighborhood, places called Burbank. Pasadena, Santa Monica, Sunset Boulevard. So, did you have a special lady in your life before this whole thing happened? Oh, uh, well, I, no, I didn't. I met her here. Her? Wait, what? We weren't the first people Jonathan had spoken to in his moment. I hadn't seen anyone in years. 
years, I hadn't seen another person. And this blue blur was just following me around. And I thought it was another person, you know, like me, trapped. And then I started getting these little notes, like I had tried to do. They'd tell me to stay still and don't move. And then we started talking. I stopped moving around so much, and, and towards the end of it all, I would barely even leave my house. And then, one day, there she is. Jonathan says that she slowed down right in front of him. And she was just looking at me. And I reached out, and I could touch her. And we just, we just held each other. And we were just sitting in the middle of this house, and the missile was above us, and we just held each other. She wouldn't let go. Her name was Margaret. She's the only person that I've talked to since I've been here. And I'd sort of forgotten what other people's voices even sounded like. I mean, I'm listening to a radio for the static, and I get to hear another person's voice. And I showed her my house and she showed me hers she had a bunch of notebooks and she would keep track of her time in those she didn't use walls like i did she said i was silly for doing it (laughs) and uh we compared notes and uh we realized that i was speeding past her and our times would be locked together for a bit but we didn't know how long that would be Margaret had been working on a couple of projects. She'd been trying to measure how high the missile was and how fast it was moving towards the ground. It was the fastest thing moving, so it was a logical thing to study. After a couple of months, she figured the thing would take centuries of her time to reach the ground. And that was that was assuming it wasn't programmed to airbursts, in which case we had more like a couple of decades. They spent months together, working through things, and eventually, they fell in love. You know, she just got me. It wasn't like we were the only people that we had seen in decades, and so we're just forced into it. She made me into this better person. She was so smart. She worked at the observatory doing celestial research. I was really glad that I had spent the past decade reading books. Can I at least try and keep up with her? And and she always said that she was never settling with me. Sometimes I didn't really believe that. You know, I could tell that she was happy though. She was she was happy. Like she her smile just never really seemed to go away. Even whenever she didn't think that I was looking at her like she just smiled. She liked looking at balloons. They had the wedding in a church. <laughs> It seemed important. You know, we were both sort of old-fashioned people. We got two gold bands, you know, the best ones that we could find. You know, we wrote down marks uh, on my wall, and we circled them, put our vows next to it. That was the last mark that I made on the wall. And then we had a house out on out on the beach, and the sun was always just rising over the ocean. You know, it was 
Oh, man. It was beautiful. What happened to her? Oh. Uh, well, we kind of just... I think the word to use is, like, desynced. We just started... She just got slower. And there'd be these stutters in between our conversation that just would catch my attention but didn't seem too unnatural and then eventually started taking seconds to respond to me and then minutes and we had to start writing notes to, to each other like these telegraphs and we'd only be able to touch each other if, if we held each other for these long periods of time and then we'd jerk away as if something was pulling us apart the last time that I heard from her, it was taking two hours, or maybe more, for her to write back her responses. She just, she just stopped. Over. Couldn't she still have left you marks? Um. Uh, no, uh, no, I was speeding up. As my time got faster and faster, hers just slowed to this crawl. Her, her notebooks, uh, stopped seeing her marks show up in the notebooks. But I, I, I'd make the marks, because I, I, I wanted her to think that I was still there. And I'm sure it just filled up for her in days. And, and then she just started to fade into this, this blur, this red blur. And she's still standing in the house in Santa Monica, but I can't recognize her anymore. You know, it's been years since I heard someone else. Thank you, guys. No problem, ghost man. So why do you think we can talk to you? I would imagine that my time is running into yours. And I can pick up weird signals every now and again. So that must be those... Ghost noises that your listeners heard. Must have been. So what are you going to do when the missile hits, Jonathan? <laughs> well, I've never left L.A. And I've always been worried that this whole thing was just this localized event and I would age as soon as I left some radius. But a while back, I just walked into the desert with a stick in front of me. You know, like you're supposed to do if there's a steam leak in a plant or something. The stick lights on fire before you walk into the superheated air. And I got, I got pretty far. I don't want to be here anymore. Even if it means that I die. I've been here for way too long. There's so many memories. Listen, Jonathan. We've got a couple of science contacts that we could talk to to try and... No, that's okay. You know, I've lived a pretty weird and lonely life, but I never would have met Margaret if I didn't. And honestly, I just don't care about it anymore. I just don't care. I spent my entire life here, and anything else just seems... Jonathan? So... Got... Slow. Hey, Jonathan, we're... Hit the, hit the side. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're traveling through the desert surrounding California in the next couple of months, 
keep your radios on. If you start to hear some static, turn up the radio, watch out for mutants, and make sure you listen close. Because if you do, you just might pick up some noise through all that static. Coming from a time not too unlike ours, but at the same time vastly different. Some noise from a man who used to live in a city under a missile. With a girl that he left behind in a blur of red. Running off into the desert to find something new. That impossibly fast man named Jonathan. And if you listen hard enough, just might be able to catch him. <laughs> alright, alright, alright guys. Alright. Save for your recording. I'm Jonathan Banks. This was post-talk.